Welcome to a special edition podcast where I'm going to provide a recap of my 2023 best ball season. I wrote an article that you guys can find on Establish the Run website, which I'll read through during today's podcast. If you want to actually see the teams or the draft board, please be sure to check out the article on the ETR site. Let's get to it right now. Welcome back to the DraftKings Football Show, hosted in partnership with our friends at DraftKings. I'm your host, Justin Herzig, and I am here to talk best ball. It has been, it's been a couple weeks since we've had this. We've had the holidays, so it took off a week or two from recording this while doing some traveling and such. But uh, it has been an exciting couple of days and week with the best ball finals. Had a few people reach out asking, would I do a podcast? Would I do an update? Uh, also had some people that wanted an article. Ended up kind of combining the two. So we wrote I wrote an article for ETR. If you go to establishtherun.com website, you'll see it on the homepage there. Uh, but then also in this podcast, I'm going to read through that article. Uh, the article just kind of includes as well some uh, images, pictures of the giraffe, one of the giraffe boards. So feel free to check that out. But for now, let's jump into the article. Starting off, editor's note, Justin Herzig has been grinding the best ball lobby since the format took off. His best ball results include winning underdogs inaugural best ball mania in 2020 and finishing fourth in DraftKings Millionaire in 2021. In 2023, he finished 22nd in best ball mania, second in the DraftKings 555. In this article, Justin breaks down the process behind his best ball teams from this season. Starting off with the best ball mania four. I drafted this team on July 20th from the 11th spot. I started a lot of my drafts from the slot with a wide receiver, wide receiver start. And after grabbing CeeDee Lamb in the first, grabbed the best player available, Amon Ross St. Brown, who also happened to give me a little week 17 game stack correlation. With my next two picks, I grabbed two RBs that provide substantial individual game performances while also would most likely be peaking during the fantasy playoffs. We expected Brees Hall to start slow coming off the injury and history has shown us rookie RBs ramp up as the season progresses. It didn't hurt to also have Gibbs, you know, the rookie running back I just mentioned, fit into that Week 17 game stack and aligned to an overall bet on the Lions having a stronger offense. At this point in the draft, I've now got two running backs that I really like, but ones that are likely to take time to shine. Thus, I expect this to be a draft where I, a draft where I grab another four running backs that can help carry the load until Brees and Gibbs break out. With six running backs and not having an elite QB or tight end at this point, I assumed I'd only be able to draft seven wide receivers and need to hammer those while I could. I grabbed Chris Chris Godwin and Mike Evans, which filled my position of need and set me up for an additional team stack in the box. In round seven, I grabbed another wide receiver to give me a solid core of five wide receivers in the first seven rounds before further leaning into that buck stack with Rashad White. Based off my next pick being 107 and that being near Dak's ADP, and my only competition for Dak at this point are the Pollard and Cooks owners, and both those already had QBs, it was likely that Dak would fall to me so I didn't need to reach. And if he didn't, I could always still grab Goff, Baker, and a third QB. Dak did fall to me in the ninth, and I followed that up with David and Joku in the 10th as it was a position of need and gave me a Week 17 mini stack with Brees Hall. In the 11th round, I further leaned into my Cowboys stack with Michael Gallup, and I grabbed a running back that was expected to play a role early in the year, which was important given my running back so far. That running back was, let me check for those with the image, um, was Jalen Warren. 
In the 13th round at pick 155, I was shocked to see Jared Goff fall to me. I'm usually not a fan of drafting two QBs from the same week 17 game as it limits my exposure to shootout games and two quarterbacks from the same game already often correlate. However, ADP value far surpassed the week 17 small hit, and I happily drafted Goff as my second QB. Not even taking a chance, the 12 spot on the turn could take him despite already having two QBs. So I followed that up with another running back that I expected to be on the field early and in a situation where running back roles has a level of ambiguity. That was Devin Singletary. I was now down to four picks remaining, and I knew I would need to take two more tight ends and likely another running back and wide receiver. Juwan Johnson was getting buzzed. He was a position of need and a bring back to my heavy Buccaneers offensive investment. And then Isaiah Hodgins was the best wide receiver available based off our ranks. I then finished with the draft with my third tight end, Hayden Hurst, of which I've learned from this mistake, and I'm calling this the Dawson Knox principle. More on this to come during the summer. And with my final pick, I considered Baker Mayfield because my heavy investment in Tampa, but felt it more important to get a third running back, and CEH was a guy that I liked because of draft capital, competition, minimal competition there uh, in Kansas City, and just being an active running back on the Chiefs. This team put up 170 plus points in both of the playoff weeks and put up a strong performance in week 17 with my game stacks going off. I had Njoku and Brees Hall as a mini stack, Chris Godwin and Juwan Johnson, and then Dallas and Detroit game stack all went off. This draft is a good example of using the ideas within the best ball pyramid to help with each pick. If you're not familiar with the best ball pyramid, you can Google that and find it in the Establish the Run site as well. It includes solid roster construction. This was a 2 6 7 3. Multiple team stacks. You got the Dallas and Detroit. You got the Tampa. You got the Tampa stack without the quarterback. ADP value that Jared Goff falling great value, and my player takes young running backs likely to peak during the playoffs. And then we balanced positional capital and had some strong Week 17 correlation. Overall, it was a fun sweat. Had a few chances to crack the top 10, but no complaints with a 22nd place finish out of 667,000 entrants. You can see that full draft board in the article. Moving on to the 555 DraftKings Millionaire. While I was quite excited to get another team in the BBM4 Finals, I think my most impressive result was getting three teams through to the 555 Finals. Having more than 10% of a 29-person Finals, and all three teams in my opinion live, I like my chances to make a run at the million-dollar top prize. Unfortunately, my run ended just short as despite Jane Reed only needing one more catch for 20 yards or two catches for 11 yards. He did not return for the second half due to an injury, and my team finished in second place for 150 k If you've read my DraftKings Best Ball Strategy article, also on the Establish on site, my very first sentence states, we must adjust our strategy to the rules and scoring. And I think this is often overlooked for people playing DraftKings when most analysis and content is around the underdog structure. I won't regurgitate everything from that article, but I do suggest reviewing it, and you'll see a lot of the themes present in this lineup particularly about running backs. Consider the below excerpt as you review this team. That's a specific situation, but I think it conveys my large thought process around running backs in this format and that other than an elite guy, I don't think they matter much. In many cases, I'm okay with giving up running back points, especially at RB2, if it means I can absolutely dominate the wide receiver and tight end positions. I highly recommend trying some zero RB drafts from outside the top three picks and resisting the urge to draft a running back in the first six rounds. That's from that article, and this team pretty much does that to a T. And zero RB is exactly what I built with this team. While we cannot see the draft board, DraftKings, thanks, I'll try to recreate my picks to the best of my memory, but it's possible I'm around off on a couple guys. 
Similar to the Best Ball Mania team, I likely had an end round slot, either 11th or 12th. I'll break down each of my two picks at the turn. First and second were CeeDee Lamb and Amon Ross St. Brown. If wide receiver, wide receiver was a common start for me on underdog, it was almost an abnormality if I didn't start wide receiver, wide receiver at the back half of drafts. The upside for elite wide receivers with DraftKings scoring is hard to even match by elite running backs, while far more likely to hit their ceiling seasons wide receivers are than running backs. Give me the two guys who are the focus of their offense and, hey, have that week 17 correlation. With the third and fourth picks, I went Lamar Jackson and Amari Cooper. I'm often waiting on QB and DraftKings, but Lamar as a late third when elite guys were often going in the second was too good a value to pass up. It was also a nice structural edge this year that you could draft Lamar and easily stack him with Flowers and or Bateman based off, their out, how, based off how their ADPs fell. Mari Cooper was probably the best wide receiver available and follows my desire to draft wide receivers that are expected to be the focal part of their passing game with macro offensive upside, especially for DraftKings. Next two picks, I went Chris Godwin at five and Miles Sanders. You can't have too many high upside wide receivers on DraftKings. I fully expect to start four of them every week and grabbing Chris Godwin further strengthened the most important position. Miles Sanders did not work out, but I was comfortable grabbing my first running back after already having an elite QB and four wide receivers. Next two picks, Zay Flowers and James Conner. I almost always took either Zay Flowers or Rashad Bateman at this spot, at this spot after starting with Lamar Jackson. I slightly preferred Flowers on DraftKings given his expected usage as a higher volume, lower ADOT wide receiver. James Conner was a solid value at this spot, and on a team I'm expecting to take six running backs, I needed someone I could count on getting substantial volume early in the season. Next two picks, Zach Charbonnet and Dalvin Cook. Zach Charbonnet was a guy that I thought was a perfect fit for this build. Pass-catching running back that could be a league winner with an injury to Kenneth Walker. And when I go zero RB, I like to mix in running backs with substantial upside along with the guys who can help early while I'm waiting for breakouts. Dalvin Cook is a guy I only had on 3% of DraftKings teams, but I probably was looking for early season production, and I talked myself into him as I bring back to Amari Cooper in Week 17. Next two picks, Jamal Williams and Michael Gallup. After ignoring running back for the first five rounds, I had now hammered it in five of the last six picks, hoping to create a balanced rotation of guys that could help early like Jamal Williams while Kamara is suspended, or Dalvin Cook while Brees Hall is still recovering, with running backs that can break out at any time. Jamal also provided a mini-stack correlation with Chris Godwin for Week 17. I had the luxury to miss on some of these picks because if this team was to thrive, it would be heavily carried by the elite wide receivers and quarterback. Michael Gallup gave me another piece of the Dallas passing game and Dallas-Detroit Week 17 game. Next two picks, Sam Laporta, Jaden Reed. Similar to Gallup, Sam Laporta further strengthened my Detroit stack in that Week 17 game while also filling a major position of need. While I'm highly unlikely to draft four tight ends and 18-round structures, I'm perfectly content doing it on 20-round teams. And when I do it, I like to look for upside specifically in tight ends that are most likely to thrive in the fantasy playoffs. Sam Laporta, rookie tight end, fits the bill. Jaden Reed was also a strong target of mine all offseason. I expected him to beat out Romeo Dobbs for the number two wide receiver position. He also highlights a strategy of mine that when I get elite wide receivers early, I care more about finding upside than the other wide receivers than safety that most likely won't even count for my team. Next two picks, CJ Stroud and Juwan Johnson. I can't tell you exactly why I drafted CJ Stroud on this team. Perhaps QBs were running thin at this point, or maybe I thought I'd stack him with a late wide receiver. But with taking Lamar early, I probably just grabbed him as one of the last QBs available. Juwan Johnson was a similar pick to my underdog draft. Strong buzzing camp, position of need, and part of that New Orleans-Tampa Bay Week 17 game stack. The final four picks, 
Not really sure on the order, but Noah Fant, Leonard Fournette, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and Logan Thomas. I'll bucket the final four picks together, as these are dart throws at positions of need. Two tight ends brought me up to four for the team. Two more running backs brought me to seven. Those were clearly my weakest positions, so it made sense to overload them with volume to try and hit on some strong pieces. I'm sure I'll have nightmares continue to think about had CEH been active instead of Pacheco, Pacheco in that final week. Overall, I think the number one thing that this team should highlight is the ability to build a very strong zero RB team, especially on DraftKings. On a team that I, for the most part, didn't hit on a single running back, it still advanced the finals and almost took it down. Alvin Kamara, Kenneth Walker, and Isaiah Pacheco were all questionable going into the week, and had one of those missed, this team may have had just enough firepower to get there. Okay, moving on. $2,000 DraftKings luxury box. Before jumping into the team, I think it's important to discuss the structure of this tournament. The regular season is like any other where the top two teams advance the playoffs, but once in the playoffs, week 15 has three out of six teams advance. Week 16 has three out of six teams advance. And the finals is only three people with payouts of $15,000, $25,000, Because of this, I shifted my strategy slightly from most other tournaments. First, I threw week 17 correlation completely out the window. That's important when you need to beat a lot of teams or when it's extremely top-heavy, like in that 5-5-5, but not when the finals is just two people. Second, once in the playoffs, you don't need a ceiling performance to advance each week. Only for each week, for 15 and 16, you need to finish in the top three out of six. While I usually lean towards players that are more likely to spike in the playoffs for, for this contest, it was actually more difficult to advance out of your regular season draft room, 17% chance of happening, First, getting to the finals once in the playoffs, 25% chance of happening. I'll go through my draft similar to the above, picking from the 12 spot. First two picks, CeeDee Lamb, Bijan Robinson. It's not often Bijan would fall to the 1-2 turn, and when you combine his expected passing game role with the upside, I chose him over in a second elite wide receiver to pair with CeeDee Lamb. And without week 17 correlation mattering, I wasn't tempted to take Amon Ra instead. Next two, Brandon Ayuk and Amari Cooper. After not going a wide receiver, wide receiver start, I double tapped two elite wide receivers of the 3-4 turn in Ayuk and Cooper. Cooper, more of the focal part of the passing game offense archetype, while Ayuk bringing spike weeks given the 49ers' explosive offense. Next two picks, Deontay Johnson and Jerry Judy. Noticing a trend with my early picks on DraftKings, you can never have too many early wide receivers, as I drafted five in my first six picks. Deontay has always been a great PPR play given his ability to earn targets, and I expected a sophomore jump from Kenny Pickett this year. Oops. I didn't have strong feelings on Jerry Judy one way or the other, but he was the best wide receiver available in a spot of the draft I believe to be a dead zone at other positions. Next two picks, DeAndre Swift and Deshaun Watson. DeAndre Swift was a guy who, for the most, of, most of the summer, I was fading. There were too many unknowns with Swift and the other running backs for a backfield that was going to be losing goal line touches to Jalen Hurts. However, in mid to late August, it became more clear that Rashad Penny would not be a factor at the same time that Swift's early ADP started dropping and becoming more tolerable. This felt like a good time to increase my exposure and grab my RB2 for the team. And Deshaun Watson was an easy pick to stack with Amari Cooper and no need to be as concerned about a week 17 Thursday game in the cold versus the Jets when the finals is only three total teams. Next two picks, Daniel Jones, David Njoku. Daniel Jones was one of my most drafted QBs this year and a solid compliment to Deshaun Watson when considering ADP investment for the position. And David Njoku furthered the Browns stack. When drafting someone like Watson, where his ADP is depressed to the higher likelihood of floor outcomes, when stacking these types of teams, I like to go all in. Because when we're right, not only do we have the Watson upside that we've seen in previous years, 
what we're getting is pieces all at the depressed ADP prices. And when it's wrong, who cares if we would have finished third in the regular season pod instead of 12th? Next two picks, Devon Achan and Elijah Mitchell. Achan and Mitchell were two of my highest drafted running backs this summer. Both were in offenses we expect to be very strong, but what their roles but the, but their roles you know what their roles would be was unclear. Achan was undersized and had to compete against Moster and Wilson. Mitchell would never surpass a healthy CMC, but with one injury, he could be a league winner. I like the upside scenarios for both and felt their prices more than accounting for the downside years when no ceiling pans out. Next two picks, Gerald Everett and Donovan Peoples-Jones. At this point in the draft, I have two quarterbacks, four running backs, five wide receivers, and one tight end. If this was only 18 rounds, I probably would have stayed with just two QBs. But on DraftKings, without an elite QB, I almost always would draft three. With only Njoku, I knew this would be either a three or four tight end build. But if I went tight end now, I could probably limit it to just three. And the rest of the spots would be at running back and wide receiver. It made sense to then grab Gerald Everett, a tight end, and an explosive offense, which is a great indicator for tight ends breaking out, and give me flexibility to make this a three tight end lineup. And Donovan Peoples-Jones furthered my investment in the Browns passing offense. Next two picks... Kendra Miller, and Jerome Ford. With six picks left in the draft, I'm looking to take one QB, one tight end, and then four running backs or wide receivers. I could either grab one running back now and another later, which would make this more of a 3-7-7-3 build, and I wouldn't have hated it given I invested so heavily in the wide receivers in the first six rounds, but had two run, but there were two running backs that I liked to give me enough confidence to stop at six running backs and get up to eight wide receivers. Kendra Miller had a similar risk-reward scenario to Devon Achan, but on a worse offense. Kamara would have had an, you know, Kamara would have an early suspension, and I didn't have faith in Jamal Williams repeating his Detroit magic, so it gave me hope that Kendra could find a major role in that offense. And after a hot start to camp for Jerome Ford and his ADP rising, a preseason injury turned Ford back into a value and a guy I love taking when betting on the Browns' offense. The final four picks were Darius Slayton, Puka Nakua, Isaiah Likely, and Baker Mayfield. My final four picks rounded out my wide receiver core with three with, with very different profiles. Darius Slayton was a stack to Dayon Jones, and he had the potential to be the number one wide receiver in that offense. Puka was a complete unknown, but substantial upside after the Cooper Cup injury seemed to be worse than initially believed. Isaiah Likely was my fifth most drafted tight end on DraftKings at 16% as I believed it was crazy to be able to get in the, final, in the final rounds a player with weekly top five positional value given one injury. And it wasn't wish casting, but something we'd actually seen the year before. I'm, you know, I'm willing to pay for similar upside of the running back position in Elijah Mitchell in the 12th round. Why not for the tight end position in the final rounds? And while Baker was Mr. Irrelevant for this team, he amazingly seemed, ended up being the player who carried my team as the only healthy QB for the second half of the season. I only had one bullet in this tournament, and it was great to run well and have that Baker pick make all the difference. Even in just making the playoffs, you got to have some run good to win a best ball tournament. And I was fortunate to take down that tournament with the $50,000 up top. Okay. And those are the three kind of sweats that I had for week 17 for the lineup that did best. I won't review the uh, two other DraftKings 555 lineup that finished. Oh, I already forgot, but I think it was like 12th and 19th or something. Uh, but you can check those on my Twitter. Um, I'll finish with the $50,000 best ball side bet with Dan Zach that I've touched on a couple of times in this pod previously and also on Twitter. For those not familiar with this bet, I'll start providing a little backstory. Over the past couple of years, as the poker industry has seen a boom, online 
I've seen a boon. Online, we've seen a great deal of excitement around heads-up bets between many of the industry's top pros. They were exciting to follow, great for the game, and had fun way for pros to get more skin down in spots they felt they had an advantage. It gave me an idea of how cool it would be to do something similar for best ball. I put out a tweet explaining such and seeing if anyone would be interested. It led to a fun discussion, a couple people reaching out, expressing interest and partaking, including Dan Zak, 2022 World Series Poker Player of the Year. Dan Zak is one of the top poker players in the world and without a doubt, one of the sharpest guys out there. He's gotten deep into the best ball streets the last couple of years and had success using similar tools to the poker world, such as running simulations. I felt confident in my ability, but believed he'd be a strong competitor. We eventually came to terms on a bet for the BBM4 with the goal to structure in a way that rewards success in the tournament without altering how we'd be optimally drafting for the tournament. You can find the terms in the ETR article or on my Twitter. The final results of the bet are as follow. Dan Zach's regular season advance rate, 18%. My regular season advance rate, 26.2%. Dan Zach's average ROI per team was $5.90. My average ROI per team was $155.86. The total results are I won $47,556 of the $50,000 bet. Also had a couple other side bets, as I mentioned, with the same structure and was fortunate to win at similar percentages. I appreciate all the support everyone has provided throughout the year, and it's been a blast seeing all the success for the ETR community and for those outside, but hey, for those who follow on Twitter and listen to this pod and so forth. I've had a great deal of lessons learned this year. I'll be sharing, and I'm looking forward to diving further into the data this summer. You can find all my content analysis, learnings, et cetera, on my Twitter at Justin Herzig. That is it for this article. Hopefully, it was enjoyable. As I mentioned, feel free to check the Twitter or check the article if you actually want to see the teams. Um, that's probably going to be it for a little bit. Um, you know, It's been a blast really recording this podcast, doing those reviews. It's helped me personally just to kind of, especially the cash game aspects, to kind of get a you know, retrospective, to dive into my decisions and to think through. And I uh, have really enjoyed kind of talking to a lot of the people in the community around who've enjoyed this podcast too and have chatted through it. So thank you for all the support. And uh, yeah, keep, keep an eye out. We'll see what's next. Uh, probably take a little time off during the... Uh, playoffs and uh, we'll see what's around the corner. Thanks so much, everyone.